So good uh, to be continuing this series with you. We've had some great testimonies uh, about prayer and fasting. And I hope you'll come next Sunday night as we launch our fasting week. Uh, whether or not you're fasting, please come. Um, we have at 6 o'clock our prayer and worship night. We're going to have communion and some snacks as kind of like a symbolic last meal launching into the fast uh, on Monday. And um, whether you're doing just a couple of meals or a couple of days, that's between you and the Lord as you prepare. But I just want to give you a quick tip if you're planning, there we go, if you're planning a longer like water-only fast, you'll be tempted to eat a whole bunch of extra food this week to kind of build up and prepare. But that's not a good idea, okay? It'll actually probably cause some issues during your fast. So it's actually better to kind of slow down a little bit and over the couple days before eat some more easily digestible food as you prepare for that. So anyways, I'm really excited. I'm, ready. I'm excited to hear some testimonies of what God does as we dedicate that time to Him. Question for you as we start. What did you eat for dinner on Tuesday, January 23rd? See, you don't, you don't remember. Unless you're like a Taco Tuesday family, so you just know that it's tacos every Tuesday. Uh, you, don't, you don't normally remember week-to-week or, or, or day-to-day meals unless it's something really special about the, the event. Very few people can recall specific meals they've eaten in the past unless it was a particularly good meal or a particularly bad one. Or if it's a special event, well, we will remember the event itself. Like, I remember that on our wedding day, we had roast beef because it was our wedding day, right? It was a very special event. One of the best meals I've ever had wasn't a steak or anything fancy at all. It was actually a cheese bun sandwich. And the reason was because of the context of the meal. My friend and I were on day one of a three-day hike on the Juan de Fuca Trail on Vancouver Island. And we wanted to get an early start, and so we actually slept in my friend's truck the night before. We had this tiny little truck with just a front seat, so we're you know, sleeping, sitting up with our big 40-pound packs in there as well, and I'm snuggling my backpack while I sleep, and I woke up constantly, and every time I woke up, I could smell the cheese buns that we had packed. And so I'm just dreaming about cheese buns. And the next day we start our hike and we finally stop for lunch and we make our cheese bun sandwiches and they just tasted incredible after craving them and wanting them for so long and being tired from the hike. One of the worst meals I've ever had was a McDonald's McChicken sandwich. And it wasn't because I thought it tasted bad because I actually think they taste good. It was because of the food poisoning it gave me for the next week, where I could not even get out of bed. I could not move, I could not eat, I could not even read a book or watch a show on Netflix, or I felt sick. I just laid there for seven days. And I'd love to tell you, I've never eaten a McChicken sandwich since, um, but you got to face your fears, right? You got to, I'm a brave soul. But like I said, sometimes a meal is only memorable because of the circumstances around it. And in the Bible, there are a lot of memorable meals. You can basically follow the history of Scripture meal to meal. Uh, eating the forbidden fruit in the garden, the meal that doomed humanity. Uh, up to the Last Supper, the meal that represented the salvation of humanity. And the Bible points forward to a meal we will all have on our first day in heaven, the wedding supper of the Lamb. But today we look at another memorable Bible meal, God's provision of manna in the wilderness. 
This event was soon after the people had left their slavery in Egypt. They were chased down by Pharaoh's army. God delivered them by parting the Red Sea. They got to the other side. They were finally free. No one after them. They were finally free to be who God had called them to be, but they were hungry. So Exodus 16, starting in verse 1. Then the whole community of Israel set out from Elam and journeyed to the wilderness of Sin between Elam and Mount Sinai. They arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. There too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they will gather food, and when they prepare it, there will be twice as much as usual. Down to verse 13. That evening, vast numbers of quail flew in and covered the camp. And the next morning, the area around the camp was wet with dew. When the dew evaporated, a flaky substance as fine as frost blanketed the ground. The Israelites were puzzled when they saw it. What is it? They asked each other. They had no idea what it was, and Moses told them, It is the food the Lord has given you to eat. These are the Lord's instructions. Each household should gather as much as it needs. Pick up two quarts for each person in your tent. So the people of Israel did as they were told. Some gathered a lot, some only a little. But when they measured it out, everyone had just enough. Those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. Each family had just what it needed. Then Moses told them, Do not keep any of it until morning. But some of them didn't listen and kept some of it until morning. But by then it was full of maggots and had a terrible smell. Moses was very angry with them. Today as we continue our series on prayer and fasting, we're talking about having faith for God's provision. God is our provider. We just need to learn how to trust him to provide in the way that he wants to, like he did for the wilderness wanderers. So here we are again with with God's people having left Egypt. They were finally free from oppression. They were finally free to be who God had called them to be, go where they wanted to go. And God had promised them an identity. He had promised to bless them. He had promised to give them land and shape them into a nation. And while they were on their way, uh, they got hungry. And this is a couple million people who had left Egypt and they went into a wilderness that didn't have crops, it didn't have storehouses, it didn't have Safeway or Canadian Superstore. It was just a wilderness. So eventually they're a month into their journey and they are running out of supplies and they're getting hungry. How are they going to survive? How are they going to make it on the journey? And so they're hungry. We all have people in our life who become a very different person when they get hungry. Don't point at them. But their kindness runs out. Their patience runs out. They, they were a normally a sweet person when they're well-fed, but that all disappears because they're hungry. We call it hangry, right? And the people here are getting hangry. We're told that the whole community complained against Moses and Aaron, blaming them for the situation they're in. A couple million hangry people. They start saying crazy things that hangry people say. If only God had killed us in Egypt. That's a hangry person. If only I was dead, it would be better than being this hungry. Only I was dead, it would be better than being with you when you're this hungry. 
They were also looking back on their time in Egypt with nostalgia. Oh, remember how great it was in Egypt. We were so well fed. Yeah, but you were slaves and being whipped daily. You had to work seven days a week for your entire lives until you died. Yeah, but we had food. Notice how short their memory is because they're hungry, because their flesh is beginning to take over. They're nostalgic about slavery in Egypt, forgetting how terrible it was. And they have forgotten all the signs and wonders and miraculous works that God had performed to rescue them from slavery. God had sent plagues on Egypt and darkened the sun and parted the Red Sea, defeating the mightiest political and military force on the planet. And yet they assume they're going to die. They assume that even though God did all that other stuff, he has no ability to feed them in the wilderness. Like he had no plans for their provision. It's easy for us to judge them from afar. But the truth is their story is analogous to our own. We all get this way ourselves. As soon as we have any sort of lack in our lives, it's easy to become whiners. We'll whine to anybody within earshot. And particularly in the Western world, we're so used to always having access to everything we want. Compared to most people in the history of the world, we have luxuries that are unimaginable if you weren't a king or a ruler. Instant access to food, instant access to running water and electricity. I mean, last week I had a plumbing issue. I had to turn the water off in my house for three hours. It's amazing how disruptive that is to our lives. The amount of times I went to turn water on not thinking, just taking for granted this incredible luxury that we have. And as soon as we lack, we tend to whine and we can shake our fist at God and say, have you forgotten about me? What are you doing up there? Have you, you're not doing your job. We lack faith for God's provision. Of course, as the story goes, God provides. He, he sends quail into the camp for meat and then he rains down this bread from heaven that they call manna. And that miraculous daily bread was there every morning, except for the Sabbath. It was there every morning for 40 years as the people needed it. This wilderness provision provided a basis for generations to come, every age to look back on, to be reminded that God is a provider. He's able to provide. He's willing to provide. And he can provide even when we don't see a way for him to do it because he can literally rain bread from heaven if necessary in order to feed us and give us what we need. And when we think about the discipline of fasting as we move into our fast next week, it connects to this idea that God is our provider. When you fast, you're going to get hungry. When you fast, you might get grumpy and whiny. You might get hangry. You might say, I wish I'd never started coming to this APA church and that Pastor Dave never had this idea to make us all fast. What was he thinking? But fasting helps us learn that food is not the only thing we need for God to provide. And there are things we need from God that are much more important than food. Jesus knew that when he was fasting in the wilderness. There's this very real connection between Exodus 16 and Jesus' fast in the wilderness found in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. The Israelites in the wilderness, they were hungry, and so was Jesus. We're told he was hungry at the end of his fast. All the Israelites could think about was their lack of food. But Jesus instead was focused on what God could give him 
that was more important than food. Remember how Satan came and tempted him and said, if you're the son of God, you can turn these stones into bread. And Jesus, quoting scripture that's found in this story of God's people, he said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Yes, God provided bread, but in the wilderness, he was providing something even more important than bread. He was providing his word. God gave the people his word. He spoke to them. He gave them the law. He gave them the commandments. He shaped them into a nation. He gave them an identity by speaking to them. And that was the truer bread that they actually needed. God fed them merely to keep them alive so that he could do the more important work of giving them his word. Of course, Jesus is quoting scripture. He says, it is written. And this scripture is found in Deuteronomy chapter 8 as Moses is addressing the people, reminding them about God's provision. Verse 2 and 3. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let that mess your theology up a little bit. God allowed the people to go hungry. He allowed them to get a little bit desperate. He didn't provide the manna before they needed it. He didn't provide it before they got hungry. He waited until they got hungry. He waited until they were able to identify their need for provision. Why? It says to test their character. Will they really trust God? Will their faith waver when things get hard? Because life is going to get hard. Will we trust God in hard moments? And to teach them, as Moses says, that there's more to life than bread. To teach them there's more to life than fulfilling our basic human cravings. And there's so much more to God than him just providing the basic things we need every day. There's so much more in him that we can seek and we can find and we can enjoy and experience. And this is one of the biggest tests of faith that we have. And a question that I want you to meditate on this week or even think back in the history of your own life. Will I trust God even when I lack? Do I trust God even when I lack? Have I trusted God even when I have lacked? Rebecca and I will always remember something my dad said at our wedding that we didn't appreciate very much. And uh, he, he performed the ceremony, and I can't remember if this was in his wedding sermon or just in one of his prayers, but he said something along the lines of, I hope there are times in your life when you don't know how you're going to pay your bills. Thanks, Dad. That's really sweet. You can't find that on a Hallmark card, right? <laughs> but he followed it up with, so that you will learn how to trust God. Because that is so vital in any life, in any marriage, learning how to trust God. And, and it looks as though God will actually allow you to get to a point where you're desperate enough that you can't see where the source of provision is going to be so that he can show how much he loves you and how much you need him. You know, it's, it's hard to learn to trust God when you never have to. It's hard to learn to trust God when you never have to. 
It would have been hard for the people to learn to trust God for food if they had never been hungry. And God actually warned his people about this. He said, when you get into the promised land, it's a land of abundance. It's a land of blessing. It's a land of provision. And so you're going to be tempted when your needs are provided to assume that you no longer need God. You're going to get there and you're going to say, we have crops, we have storage houses, we have resources, we have security and safety. Why do we need God? And God is saying, I need you to learn to trust me so that when things are good, you don't forget that even in the good times, it's actually my provision in your life. Moses warned them, if we keep reading in chapter 8 of Deuteronomy, we read this in verse 17 and 18. You may say to yourself, once you get into the promised land, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So even when things are going great, it's only because you have a provider in heaven. I think about my own life, particularly in ministry, as uh, I've talked about this before, but it kind of sparked in my mind this week. It's kind of been like a wilderness season and uh, a promised land season. In this sense that when I started out in ministry, actually, even when I went to Bible college, I kind of fought the call to go to Bible college. I waited. I went in the second semester. I hadn't saved money. I didn't really know how I was going to pay. I just knew God was calling me. And I showed up at school. And a couple weeks later, a $2,000 check showed up in my mailbox. I still don't know who gave it to me. God provided in a miraculous way, manna from heaven. And then when I graduated Bible college, I started a ministry at the University of Victoria and I had to fundraise like a missionary. And so my salary and my ministry budget was donors and churches and people that I could convince to give me money. The students weren't going to be able to support the ministry or, or help, help give me a paycheck. And so it was fundraising. The first few months of doing that, I was making $500 a month living in a basement suite with some other stinky boys and just God was providing and I think of that as the wilderness season because in that season, I experienced so many miracles of provision. But now, almost 18 years later, you know, I, I, I work at a church that's able to financially support me to give me a paycheck that works. I can, I can have a home and I can have a couple of vehicles and take care of my family. And it's, it's, a, it's an abundant season. But I have to remember that God, as he provided for me back then miraculously, he's still the source of my provision today. What, what's less fun about today is I see less miracles of provision. So I'm less often reminded that it's God who is providing for me. But whether you're in a wilderness season right now or you're in a, you're in a promised land season right now, you need to recognize who your provider is. So the question for those of you for whom things are going well, have you forgotten the Lord is your provider? Or are you assuming that it's the power and strength of your hands that has produced this good season for you? There's something liberating about learning that God is the source of our provision. It's an amazing thing to learn how to have faith for him to provide. The author of Hebrews gives us his definition of faith in chapter 11, saying faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. I might not always see where my provision is going to come from. I might not even have any evidence that it's on its way, other than the fact that I know God is a provider and that's all the confidence that I need. He's our provider. We can trust him to provide in the same way the Israelites knew that as soon as they got out of their tent in the morning, they would see manna on the ground. We can know that God will provide for our needs. 
At the same time, there's an important lesson in the text that we read. The people still had to get up and go get the manna and follow God's specific instructions about it. Do you see what I'm getting at? Like if you're praying for provision for a job, you need to hand out resumes. If you're praying for provision financially, you need to, with whatever skill, whatever capability you have, get to work. If you're praying for uh, relationships and friendships and people to support you and encourage you, you better be a good friend. Because God actually gives us instructions about how to go position ourselves to receive his, his provision. And so I want to finish uh, today just by talking about three principles of provision. I say principles because these aren't, these aren't uh, you know, like this is not a formula. God is not a money tree. He's not a vending machine. But there are things we can do that exercise our faith. Faith without deeds is dead. We can exercise our faith in God's provision. Like the people had to go out and get the manna and collect it in the way God instructed. We, as we follow God's principles of provision, can put ourselves in a position to receive from him. So number one. Keep asking, not complaining. Notice the Israelites at no point asked for provision. They just showed up to Moses and started whining and complaining. The text even says they were moaning. That's a bad look. They didn't say, hey, Moses, we're curious. Where are we going to get food? They just said, hey, Moses, you should have killed us before we got here. Instead of now... Like, you know the classic dad response when a kid shows up and says, Dad, I'm hungry. I'm hungry, I'm dad, right? You haven't asked for provision. You're just, you're just giving your complaint. So we're actually invited and instructed to ask. Jesus teaches us a prayer that says, Give us this day our daily bread. We're instructed every day to get up, like the Israelites had to get up and grab the manna, get up and ask, God, please provide for my needs today. Ask him for your physical needs daily. Your job, money, transportation, housing, health, emotional needs. You need encouragement. You need courage. You need, you need good mental health. Ask him for your daily relational needs, friendships, love, and intimacy. Ask him for your spiritual needs, his presence in your, in his, in your life, uh, his guidance, the Holy Spirit to be near. Ask, 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 but don't complain. Just ask. Number two, be thankful and content with what you already have. The Israelites were focused only on what they didn't have. They didn't have food. But they forgot that just a month ago, they were emancipated from 400 years of slavery. Did, did we hear anything about them being thankful for that? No, they just focused on what they lacked. They could not see what they had because they were only looking at what was missing. And we can do that ourselves. We have so many blessings in life, so much provision, but we're always only looking at what we do not have. Think about this in terms of fasting. This was my epiphany for this week as I thought about as preparing for my own fast next week. Our hesitancy to give up food often comes from fear. No one likes to be hungry. No one likes to go without. We worry that if we go without, it will be harmful to us. But God has actually designed us with this in mind. He's designed our bodies 
with this situation in mind. The reason our bodies are designed to carry excess body fat is so that we can survive seasons of life where we lack food. I mean, we live in a, a strange age, if you talk to anyone in history, where we can just go to a grocery store or a corner store and eat whenever and whatever we want. But people throughout history have had to deal with long winters and famines and droughts, not knowing when their next meal can be. But God, in his grace, designed our body to have some extra storage so that we're provided for, because God is a provider. I know, knowing my situation, that God has provided everything I need to fast for a few days. And if you have gained a couple of pounds and someone points it out, all you have to do is say, my God is a provider and he loves me. We often focus on what we lack, forgetting on what God has already given us. The point is, he's a provider. So the principle of provision is to practice thankfulness and contentment. I'm thankful for what God has already given me, not focusing only on what I lack. I'm going to glory in what he has already blessed me with. And I'm going to be content with what I have, even if at certain points it doesn't feel like much. I will trust in God, knowing he has my best interest in mind. Third principle of provision. Be generous with what you have. I think this is something that a lot of us miss. And a lot of us miss out on God's blessing for lack of generosity. If you want to experience God's blessing, if you want to experience the economy of God's kingdom, you need to learn to be like God in the way that you handle the resources he's given you. God is a generous God, and he loves to give. We are stewards of God's resources. The scriptures tell us that the world is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything we have already belongs to him. It's his house, it's his car, it's his money, it's his retirement savings, it's his sweater, it's all his. And I am a steward of what God has given me. God employs people like you and like me to utilize and distribute his resources to the people and places he deems fit. So what God gives me, I'm a steward of. He allows me to use it for my needs, but he also instructs me to distribute it how he desires. If I prove faithful in distributing God's resources, God will trust me with more. If I prove to hoard and collect and keep everything for myself, God has no reason to trust me with more. If I want to experience God's provision in my life, I need to learn to be open-handed with what I have, to be generous with my family, to be generous with my church, to be generous with the poor, to be generous to fund mission and ministry, to be generous to anyone and in any place God has placed in front of me. Our worry is if we don't share, or pardon me, our worry is that if we share, we won't have enough left over for ourselves. But that attitude, that mindset doesn't come from the kingdom of God. That's how the kingdom of the world thinks. We need to hoard and keep and, and build walls and protect what we have so that people don't take it. But the kingdom of God is about giving and loving and blessing, knowing that God is ultimately the source of our provision. As Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God, and God is our provider. He'll give you what you need. People say, when I have more, then I'll be generous. But it's not true. If you can't learn to be generous with what you have, you'll never get the opportunity to learn to be generous 
with more. You'll always be holding it in. Anne Frank was quoted as saying, nobody ever became poor by giving. There's a richness and a blessing and a joy in generosity. Thank you, Rajesh. I know you're pumped. <laughs> I'm not done. <laughs> Clapping me off the stage. I'm not done. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8 to 11. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. God blesses, God gives so that we can be generous, so that we can do ministry, so that we can love people, so that we can encourage others. It's not just for us to keep. If you want to experience the provisions of the kingdom of heaven, you need to use the provisions in the kingdom way. So what is your need today? What is your need today that you need the God of provision, the God who provides to come into your life What's the manna you need? What's the, what's the physical or spiritual or emotional or relational need that you have today? And you need to exercise faith in God's provision. We got a few minutes left. We're not in a rush, but I'm going to ask the prayer team in a moment to do double duty today and come back up because I want to invite anybody who just, you have a need. You need faith for God's provision. There's an area of your life where you really need God to show up. You're desperate. Like I said, come and ask. Ask your Father who loves you. Jesus said, God loves us. If we ask God, he gives good gifts to those who ask him. God can rain down bread from heaven if he has to. So come and ask. Ultimately, remember this though. Your greatest need is not more money or a nicer car or even a relationship. Your greatest need is the word of God. Do not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And God's word is most clearly and definitively revealed in Jesus, who is the treasure of heaven, generously given for our benefit. God so loved us that he gave his only son. As we put our trust in him, as we believe in him by faith, we receive everlasting life. Romans 8.32 says, Since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? All you need for proof that God is a provider is the fact that he gave his son to provide salvation for those who believe. So we can trust him for the daily needs. We can trust him to help us. We can trust him for our daily bread. So would you stand with me? Prayer team, please come. If you have a need, if you want to trust God for a need, the prayer team wants to minister to you, to encourage you, to ask with you that God would provide. But let's all just, as we close, sing this song, the goodness of God, reminding ourselves of God's faithfulness and all the good he has already done, giving us faith for all the good he will continue to do. Let me pray and then we'll sing. Father, you are so good. You are a provider. You are a healer. You are a giver of good things, Lord Jesus. We thank you, God, that you did not spare your own son. You did not hold back, but you gave everything 
because you are so good and you want to give us everything. And so God, give us faith. Help us to trust you. And God, in the needs that are represented here, some needs are really simple, as, as simple as bread. Some needs, Lord, I know life is expensive. People are struggling to pay rent or put gas in their car. Some people are struggling with relationship needs between their kids or a spouse or a friend. Some people are struggling with mental health. Lord, there's so many needs. And so we ask for your provision, your miraculous provision, that each day we can get up and trust that you will provide as we ask and believe for you. So God, we give all this to you, knowing you are a provider. In Jesus' name, amen.